0: This voice. Tell him to go to hell, Nick. Don't
1: ever- By the time you listen to this, you will have 30 minutes to rescue your partner. The watch is already counting down. At the end of that time, a small but powerful bomb will explode under him. You can find him in the old Harris Generating Station. There will be two ground rules. One, you must do this alone, unarmed and on foot, or your partner will die. And two, while you're hunting for your partner, I'll be hunting you. Oh, and one more thing. Ordinarily, the prize would be $2 million in cash, but what would cash mean to one of your kind? Yes. I got a good look at you earlier tonight. I know what you
0: are. I know what I'll be dealing with. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode, and an important piece of business before we get started. The forever night episodes will be moving. I'm going to start telling everybody this at the beginning of every pod, because that way everybody gets a chance to um, hear it.
1: Right. We have we already have multiple groups of listeners. Yeah. For our different categories of episodes, so right. we're just going to make uh,
0: different podcast streams for each one. This way, you don't have to sift through all the stuff we do to find your favorites. So the Forever Night episodes will be moving to their own stream under their own title, Come In 81 Kilo.
1: With custom artwork.
0: I'm so excited. Um, Of course, you know, 81 Kilo is Nick and Skanky.
1: Yeah, it's the call sign for Nick's car.
0: So they will now be Come In 81 Kilo, a Forever Night podcast. But... For now, they will still be under our Strange and Beautiful Book Club stream. So, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So this was a season two episode, season two, episode seven, "Hunted." And before we get started, I feel like we need to address something that has been weighing heavily on me for the last couple of episodes, Uh and we haven't really talked about it, and that is, why is Nick's coat five fucking sizes too big for him? It is so big, it swallows his hands.
1: Which coat is this?
0: The black coat. With the like eighteen inch shoulder pads. And then the sleeves are so long only his fingertips stick out the end. He literally has to pull back and hold the end of the sleeve to keep it from falling over his hand when he's acting.
1: I'm trying to visualize this and I don't recall that.
0: Well now you'll but see it.
1: Now I'll see it.
0: Did he did they run out of did they run out of money in the the budget was this the fashion what is happening
1: he's wearing stone trees old coat
0: why is his coat Uh, yeah maybe it's like a nostalgia thing (laughs) it's his black i mean it's black and it's real flowy which is nice which is his
1: vibe yeah
0: fucking gigantic it's huge huge
1: that's what she said
0: (laughs) (laughs) i just want to put you know if you haven't noticed it yet you're welcome um, it makes his shoulders look huge. It makes his arms look tiny. It's just a very unfortunate choice. And it made me realize how much I miss the styling from season one. I even. Yeah, the
1: outfits were really nice in season one.
0: I even, and it pains me to say this, miss the purple members only jacket.
1: It's iconic.
0: At least it fit him. <laughs> At least he didn't have to physically hold the sleeves to keep them from falling over his hands.
1: Maybe, maybe it's like a sensory sensitivity thing. Yeah. And like, I like sweaters that cover my hands. Maybe. It feels very comforting.
0: Yeah, but he's acting.
1: Well, maybe he just wants to be comfortable when he's acting.
0: He's not making his daily commute from the bed to the desk beside the bed. Uh, I don't know you know what I miss Okay so this was and I was thinking about this Because I have always said I liked season 2 best And I do still I think there's Some really quality episodes in season 2 That we just haven't gotten to yet But I had never sat And watched season 1 through From start to finish And I miss The gritty sincerity Of the writing in season 1 As wild as it was I kind of miss season one. I feel like the last three episodes have been like, oh, well, these aren't my favorite, but this part's okay. Well, this isn't my favorite, but this part's okay. Oh, but it's, it's
1: a pattern. It's, it's happening a pattern over that's and over again. Hap-
0: yeah, we're not like, we're not peaking, va- we've been valleying for too long here. And I think we're going to get to some good episodes. I just forgot how many season two episodes were like, hmm, that's all right. It was okay. I think it was a, the first one was made as like a um, Hail Mary to the universe. Like let's create this completely off the wall, completely undone, untried thing, a police procedural with a horror element. Let's try it and see what happens. And then Right, it-
1: and they just there was no like top down feedback on how to do it. Right. But now
0: Right. Well, maybe, we've maybe we've they're slipped saying, into the mainstream a little bit more. Right. Like we've we had to become a little bit more marketable because now because they had
1: to sell it to a studio.
0: Right. And now it's getting more of an audience. You have to appeal to more people. It's got to match more couches.
1: Match more couches. You I know, haven't heard that line. Well, artwork, I, I I understand what you mean. Yeah.
0: But. It's got to. It's got to go with more stuff right. and i think we that's i think like we lost the cool it dilutes lighting it a little bit yeah we lost the cool lighting in the raven where they always had that cool multicolored lighting now mm-hmm. it's a set and it's fine it's fine that it's a set but I, we just lost a lot of that gritty it Changes
1: the aesthetic
0: yeah we lost that gritty sincerity and i don't think it makes it a bad show but i think we just lost like that tiny little piece of um we are all in this to try something new magic
1: the experimental vibe. Yeah.
0: So this is season two, episode seven, "Hunted," which is actually one of my more, one of the episodes I like more. Yeah. Uh, um, than, some, than some of the previous ones. And I think it's because we get to see Nick doing vampire stuff, which we haven't seen in a couple of episodes. I mean, we see it like a little bit, but we haven't been like, he hasn't been hopping out of the car and taking off at every random moment unless you count um forward into the past in which he did a lot of weird vampire stuff which yes i calculated the distance between where he that i found okay, the so street this, intersection
1: this is a topic that we brought up in a previous episode yes where it, i guess it was in forward into the past right where i posited could nick fly across the ocean In a night. Yeah. Or does he have to take a plane? So I left it at that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I left it at that. And maybe, I I thought maybe it would pop into my mind at some point during the day and I'd be bored. And Okay, let's calculate some things. Well, Rachel took it upon herself.
0: I calculated it. All right, so from that intersection... The intersection that he's at, uh, Garamond and Winford, to Hamilton, the center of Hamilton, is 50 miles.
1: Okay, and how fast did he travel 50 miles?
0: Well, we don't know the amount of time it took him, but we have to assume it was faster to travel there flying than by car. And it's kind of like it's around a bay. so. It's uh, like if he goes by car, it's 50 miles, but straight across the water it's probably a little bit shorter. Okay. So say it take him took him mm, 25 minutes. That would be 100. Twice as
1: fast as a car. And we're saying it would take about an hour to drive it. Yeah. But it had to be faster for him to fly. And so we'll just throw out a nice round number and say he goes uh, half the time. For him to fly that distance.
0: Right. Well, even if he's traveling at 200 miles an hour. So say he's traveling at 200 miles an hour, which would get him there in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. The distance from London to Hamilton, which is where he goes, is 3,584 miles. Okay. So even traveling 200 miles an hour, it would take him 18 hours to get from London to Hamilton, Canada.
1: So using... Using those rough numbers, no, he no. could not fly Nick across the ocean. He could
0: not fly himself across the Atlantic Ocean from London to... He may have been able to make it to the coast and pause. Yeah. But he could not, in one flight, make it from London to Hamilton or Toronto. Right. So let's just put this to and rest. As, well... Hold on. Okay.
1: This is this is our first approximation measurement. Right. of how fast how, there's a there's two different questions. How fast can Nick fly and how fast does Nick fly?
0: Well, I think we can assume he flies as fast as he can possibly fly to get to But it to might Catherine. mess up his hair. <laughs> 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 well, even, okay, so if you want to talk about hair, when we had the episode where we saw him flying, which was dying to know you, the one with the psychic, yep. he was carrying the psychic and flying her to a hospital, which again, we have to assume he was flying as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. They were able to have a conversation and neither one of them had hair that was moving Uh, With any amount of wind.
1: That's that's an abstraction that was hidden from us for the sake of filming.
0: (laughs) You could not hold a conversation at 200 miles an hour. However, he may have been flying at human speed so that he would not harm her. Because a unprotected human flying at 200 miles an hour would probably have some issues. Assume you hit a bug at 200 miles an hour. Okay, so it's like when a straw goes through a telephone pole during a <laughs> during a tornado. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so to summarize, mm-hmm. we have one data point. Yes. On how fast Nick flies, right? And generously, uh, it's two hundred miles an hour. Yeah. So, we'll. I'll be paying attention okay. to future episodes where he flies. <laughs> okay. Where we have a distance that we can like we know the start and end locations and we have you know a tighter A, time stamp. a tighter timestamp yeah. on his destination and arrival times. And then we can get a, a second data point and see if there's some numbers there. Some
0: variation. Yeah. Yeah. But as the data stands right now. Nick could not fly across the Atlantic Ocean right. under his own power. But
1: if he got up to 400 miles an hour, <laughs> he could do it in nine, nine hours. hours, which, uh, depending on the time of year. What's
0: the speed of sound?
1: 300 miles an hour.
0: Would Nick create a sonic boom? Uh, when he went past the speed, the barrier, the sound barrier?
1: Uh, anything going faster than so speed of sound creates if ever at boom. night.
0: And you hear a sonic boom and you don't know what it's from. That was a vampire breaking the uh, <laughs> speed of sound barrier. <laughs> okay, well, we're just going to leave this. Oh, for... no.
1: No, speed of sound. Is, I'm thinking meters. Oh, okay. Uh, is 300. It's 767 miles oh, per
0: hour. Oh, okay. All right. Well, he'd have to travel a lot faster than <laughs> Just the maybe, thought maybe... of him. Just the thought of him, like. <laughs>
1: Maybe he could get up to Mach (laughs) 0.5. Sorry. Oh, and the the higher you go altitude-wise, the lower the air pressure is, and the lower the air pressure is, the lower the speed of sound is, though.
0: Oh, so Nick at high altitude might create a sonic boom.
1: Yes. So there was a guy for, was it Red Bull? Somebody did like a... Strict like high atmosphere, uh, jump from this balloon. His name was almost on my tongue, but it slid off. Anyway, um, when he jumped from the way high upper atmosphere, yeah, technically, at human terminal velocity at that altitude, he broke the sound barrier.
0: Nice. So here's another question. If he does for some reason fly himself directly from London to Toronto. When you do that, you don't fly straight across the Atlantic Ocean because that's not a straight line. You end up going up and over like Greenland. Right. You go yes. north.
1: Yeah, the shortest path does he take into account? Do, yes. does, the does he curvature take into account of the, earth? the
0: curvature of the earth? And if he flies high enough over a northern enough area, Considering he doesn't have his own body temperature, and he doesn't have a heartbeat,
1: could he freeze?
0: Will he freeze solid?
1: Oh, it depends on whether the liquid in his body would crystallize, mm. or is it like, like if you add salt to water, it drops the freezing temperature. Yeah, I think we're getting a little too deep into. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> All right, well, we so the that physics we've covered of that. vampires
0: night. Toronto. <laughs>
1: oh, yes. At the start of the episode, <laughs>
0: yes. a man in army surplus gear is walking tensely down the street.
1: Oh, yeah. He's, he's on high alert. He's wound up tight.
0: And I think it's really funny. This guy is William Bartholomew Yates.
1: Yeah. The character's name.
0: Yeah. Which is not what W stands name. for. And it's also W or Y A T E S, not Y E A T S. But it's okay. an oblique reference wb Yeats, the poet
1: oh gotcha
0: yeah uh but he is running around he's like i'm sorry you derailed me completely And now i'm like in do vampires free solid mode um he's very anxious obviously like he's being hunted one might say because he sees people walking down the street he gets scared he pulls a knife but he pulls a knife out of his boot and then he doesn't keep it in his hand, he like resheathes it in his
1: Yeah, he keeps bo- putting it back in his boot. Yeah. All right. The question Maybe is Maybe he runs faster without it. In is his it hand. still paranoia if people are actually after you? Yeah. I don't know. And the know. answer is yes. Yes. It, it's still paranoia. Right.
0: I mean it's just justified paranoia. It's justified right. paranoia. And he ends up going up to a trash can and he starts rooting in this trash can. Which I love how trash cans always only have dry wadded up paper in them in television shows and mm-hmm. movies. It's never somebody's nasty leftovers. It's never bars. Pour
1: out their half a coffee.
0: Yeah, it's never a half full cup of coffee. It's always dry paper
1: scoop out their chinese takeout
0: right and we hear a beep and he looks at his watch which this watch would have been a lot more impressive in 1994 yes now we're like oh that's like a walmart watch but this is an expensive watch because it's got a stopwatch we on it put
1: on our context we lenses put on
0: our context lenses this is an expensive ass watch it's like the ones that had a little calculator on them i wanted one of those so bad because of the tiny little buttons
1: I had one. It was not really usable.
0: It doesn't matter. It was the it was the look. It was so futuristic. Uh, but he's got like two minutes or something left on his watch. And he hears a beep. And then he looks over and someone has thrown a gun. And it's just laying there on the ground for him. So he runs over and picks it up. And he ends up shooting kind of off. Right. At a he wall.
1: starts shooting. And we don't know what he's shooting at.
0: Right. And then he gets shot once and just...
1: <clears throat> so at, at this point... We just think he's tripping on something.
0: Right. Right, Except for the gun.
1: Right. But then the gun shows up. Okay. Things have escalated. Is he now hallucinating a gun?
0: Yeah. But then we get our patented only the end of the gun shot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And now we know shit's serious.
0: Right. You're like, oh, oh, he's about to get murdered. If he wasn't, we'd see the whole hand. But no, we only see the muzzle. He gets shot once and he's dead. And then... uh, We're at the intro. Sun rising over Toronto. And then we get our moment of comic relief for the episode, which is the beginning of our skanky subplot.
1: What is our skanky subplot?
0: Um, Skanky versus Myra won't let him get a word in edgewise. (laughs) Because he's on the phone and he's like, Myra, Myra, honey. Well,
1: particularly about the vacation that she's planning.
0: Yeah, he's like, I, I can't. When are we going to go to the Gulf of St. Lawrence? And she's, she must have said something like, right now, because the whales are getting ready to mate. And he's like, mating season. You want to watch males, whales mate, honey? <laughs> and then he's like, what's that, Captain? He goes, sorry, pipe piling up. I got to go. He's just, and he's just sitting at his desk by himself. Yeah, Nick Cohen didn't call him at all. My, my. my, my. Myra, can I can I just interject something here? When am I going to have time to visit the Gulf of St. Lawrence? I mean, the whales can wait. I mean, mating season is a month. You want to watch whales mate? Why, honey? Yeah, right, Captain. Listen, honey, I, I got to get going. my work is just piling up here. Yes, I'll call you later. I love you, too. I hope that's Myra. <sighs> You know, she says we never talk, so I call her up and she ends up doing all the talking, usually about the vacation we'll never have. At least she's including you. And he ends up hanging up and we get kind of a, this is supposed to be a comedic interaction. And maybe it is. I don't know. I'm so fucking distracted by his coat at this point. Nick set, sits on his desk and he's like, I hope that was Myra. Because <laughs> Skanky, skanky <laughs> ends with, love I love you. Yeah." And <laughs> uh, they, we just get kind of a... Uh, back and forth. It's sort of a partnership building moment here where they get like a ha ha, buddy, buddy. Oh, yeah. By the way, somebody else got killed. Now this is number six. Oh, okay. So we're on to the plot now.
1: It's, it's a serial killer.
0: It's a serial killer, which they, I don't think they use that word. They don't
1: use the word serial
0: killer. No. And
1: it just occurred to me now.
0: Yeah. And so Skanky and Nick are like, well, are there any witnesses? And Skanky goes, uh, no, there was a bunch of people in the square. Nobody saw anything. In fact, one of them thinks he's um, Napoleon. And Nick oh, goes, yeah, because it's, no, it's a no, bunch of like, Rasputin, homeless people. Or yeah, he whatever, goes, no, no, Rasputin, Or unhomed people. Right. On, people experiencing homelessness. Yes. And we find out that this is number six. And all of them have a gun. None, which, And the same watch. Yeah, and the six Not the exact same watch, but six identical watches. Right. Yeah. And the gun doesn't ever match what they got shot with. So the gun isn't the murder weapon. So someone is giving them a gun and then killing them with a different weapon. And so they go in and talk to Cohen about it. And Cohen's basically like, "Um, this is number six. We need to get our shit together. Uh, we need to we need to figure this out and get this wrapped up, and we need to. We're get it a laughing stock. Yeah, this is ridiculous. And Skanky's like, well, I call him the garbage man, and then crickets, and then they move the, on. The
1: emotional bid from Skanky,
0: right? And then he calls him Monsieur le Garbage, <laughs> Monsieur Garbage. <laughs> he uses the word garbage man or some variation of garbage man like five times before somebody finally acknowledges him. Yeah, it's an emotional bid. Poor Skanky. He's like, anyone gonna ask? Anyone gonna ask? Matt does this all the time. Just oh yeah. make a bald statement and then just wait. But no. And then they go to the morgue and Natalie, they they get a rundown from Natalie, which Natalie is involved in a lot of cases. She's doing like a lot of different things. And she She does
1: every aspect of forensics.
0: And she always weighs in on their cases. They're always like, Well, what do you think? And she sometimes she'll be like, I don't fucking know. I'm not the detective. And sometimes she'll be like, I have a theory. but you know natalie listens to true crime podcasts
1: oh absolutely yeah
0: that's what's on her radio every when she's headed home all the time because she's always got a theory and skanky's eating that's not a subplot but he's eating (laughs) and i could it's only to highlight the um it's to underscore what he says because he ends up going off on like a rant about man's instinctual drive to hunt, and then he's eating, like, a hot dog. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hunting people. Hey, why not? It's instinct. We were born to hunt. It's in our blood. Okay, okay, so it's not necessary anymore. But if you want to understand man's primal self, you got to understand it's all about the hunt. Man against nature. Against nature. That's perfect.
1: You know what I mean. Skanky, people are dying here.
0: Geez, Nick, would you relax? It's just a philosophical conversation. Yeah, because Natalie says this guy was rural-wired. He was on, like, PCP and methamphetamines. She said his blood pressure had to be over 250. He was a ticking time bomb. And she points out that the pattern of the killings is very consistent, where they started out with people experiencing homelessness, and then they moved on to more and more dangerous victims and now it's a what does she call him a like skinhead knife fighter yes yeah and nick is like yeah that's they're escalating the thrill i should know (laughs) he could end (laughs) up almost every hunting statement in this entire episode with just i should know (laughs) like oh yeah yeah i've done that it's fine and then we it it sends him to a flashback it's so poignant for him
1: right and once again, it's a very relevant to the case flashback.
0: Yeah, and it's one of the few flashbacks where they are interacting as a family. Like, LaCroix <laughs> planned an outing. He was like, <laughs> they were all at home watching TV. We're going on a family trip to <laughs> They were all at home watching TV or whatever, you know, reading books, whatever was appropriate for the time period, which looks like it's like 1830s-ish, based on our Edwardian attire that we've got going. And he's like, okay, guys, you know, we're all hungry. It's time to go get dinner. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll just go grab something out of the alley, out back or whatever. And he's like, no, no, let's go on an adventure. Who's up for an adventure? And they're like, oh, God, fine, dad. We're going to go forage. Fine, dad, whatever. And so they, they go out to the forest. And Portunet is in this dress, this like <laughs> big dress. know LaCroix dress. is
1: having this long rant about how – much more of a thrill it is to be out in the wild hunting and
0: yeah. You know, Aren't you guys glad I planned not using, this trip? Not
1: using your special vampire powers, yeah, just to make being it easy. A hunter,
0: yeah. And she's like, "Easy for you guys to say. You don't have 17 yards of fabric around your waist."
1: Right. So he's talking about the thrill of the chase and yeah. all this stuff, and Jeanette's over here just trying to like get through the underbrush, yeah,
0: just trying to walk through the sticks. I mean, they've got some billowy cloaks on which end up looking really cool when they're running around but it's nothing compared to the skirt that she's wearing. Plus she's got these puffy sleeves There's and she has a hat which has this long crinoline thing hanging out the back. There's there's a lot going on with her wardrobe and it's not forest ready. Maybe LaCroix should have provided a brief before they went on the adventure. Like I'm not going to tell you guys where we're going but here's what you need to wear. Like when you take your kids to Disney World and you're like just put your bathing suit on under your just put your bathing suit on under your clothes. Don't ask me why. You're going to love it. I promise. But they are hunting a hunter, which is what's relevant to what's going on because right. that's what Skanky and Nick are doing. They are pursuing a hunter. They are hunting a hunter. And, right. and
1: it's also relevant to the, the perpetrator themselves because right. that's what they're doing. So there's lots of levels to this analogy.
0: Yeah, and Skanky tries the garbage man thing again. He's like, I'm telling you, he's the garbage man. And Nick is literally Nick's like. finally
1: like, oh, all right, fine. I'll bite.
0: Fine, what? Why are we calling him the garbage man? He's like, because he takes out the trash. <laughs>
1: Wait, hold on. I think Nick actually uses the phrase, okay, I'll bite.
0: Yeah, he says, okay, I'll bite. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why are we calling him the garbage man? And Skanky goes, because he takes out the trash. And Natalie and Nick both are like, oh, God, <laughs> like, it's so bad. And Nick chastises him. He's like, um, people are dying here. This isn't a fucking joke. It's Kanky's like, it was a little bit funny.
1: <laughs> well Nick made a joke too.
0: I know, but the, the it's vampire not say saying it. I'll bite? Yeah. I mean, yes, but that was his own like <laughs> haha Internal personal. joke yeah. with
1: him and Natalie.
0: Right. It was a uh inside an joke. Inside joke. God, why did that leave me? I was like, I don't know what that is called, inside joke. But we go back to the precinct. We have a lot of them working together to try to solve this case, which we don't get very often, where they're actually... It's because it's
1: it's an important case.
0: They are actually talking to each other and working together (gasps) because they've literally broken out pins and red string, and they're standing over by this map, and they have like the pins all around their precinct, and they have the red line all drawn to them. And Skanky is reading out some of the witness statements to try to like generate some new brainstorm. ideas, brainstorm for them. And he says that they have a psych profile. And this, there's so little connecting these different murders that the psych profile literally checked the pattern against the moon like it's a <laughs> werewolf. And Nick's like, well, psychology is not an exact science. Yeah. Oh, I think, I don't know, Stone Tree's not around right now, so it's probably not him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe it is. But
0: then they come up with the uh, brilliant idea of going undercover. They're like, why don't we go out on that turf? How
1: like, How did they convince Cohen They just that then going undercover would <laughs> actually help, like... An effective strategy to root out.
0: <laughs> they're literally just like, well, let's go undercover. Let's get out on the street. Yeah, and Skanky goes, yeah, let's go street. <laughs> like, let's just get on the turf. Let's get, let's get down with the people and see what the what the word on the street is. See if we can figure out what's going on. And so he's like, yeah, let's, it's let's. so
1: contrived, right?
0: And they're literally like, okay, but, well, we'll go hit up. But
1: it's a good gag.
0: It works because they're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's go right now. We'll, we'll hit up the department wardrobe for a new outfit. It'll be great. <laughs> so
1: Nick when, does not use the department wardrobe. No.
0: Nick's like, I think I'm just going to go home. I literally have an entire room devoted to clothes. I'll put on my Edwardian cloak. And <laughs> <I don't laughs> he puts on his- eight- The last time we, I went hunting. We haven't seen his work shirt. His like 18th century peasant shirt that he wears when he does stuff. With
1: the frilly, yeah, with the frills on the front and on the cuffs.
0: Oh, RIP 18th century work shirt.
1: Well, we'll we'll keep our eyes out.
0: Yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes, but I don't think it comes back. I'm going to be paying more attention to this. It doesn't fit well under a vest. It doesn't fit well under a vest, which he's wearing a vest this entire episode. Yes. It's like a check pattern vest, too. It's not even black. It's so bad.
1: And even in his undercover clothes, right?
0: He's of wearing course.
1: like this tattered three-piece suit. <laughs> like a, it's like a nineteen twenties or thirties. Everybody wore like your daily wear yeah. was a three-piece suit.
0: But Skanky's straight out of the seventies. He's got the big. Yes. they must have. And
1: he is hamming it up.
0: Well, he does admit that the, he's only wearing this because it's the only thing Department Wardrobe had I wonder, for him.
1: I wonder if John Kapalos just said, "It's." Fine, I'll bring my own this. outfit uh, from home. I'll
0: surprise you guys. I, I have
1: something I yeah. think everybody will love. And
0: that's probably why they put the trench coat over top of it. His usual khaki trench coat, which Nick points out. Well, they meet each other on the street. First, Skanky's walking along doing like the coin flip, which we should have had Kojak the Night Stalker playing oh, yeah. over the entire time he's walking because he's the most obvious cop like John Capellus is not a cop but he is pretending to be a cop pretending to not be a cop who absolutely looks like a cop yeah and he ends up meeting up with Nick and Nick does this like hey buddy you got some change <laughs> hey buddy
1: yeah got some change I think so it yeah, was with the <laughs> gravelly voice <laughs> gravelly voice because I live on the
0: street because I'm from the streets <laughs> so bad it's so funny, so bad, all at the same time. Um, but they, like, walk up to each other. And then he literally says it. And then in his regular voice, he's like, what's with the clothes? Or what's with the trench coat? Right. Kinky's like, ah, that's the only thing he had for me. he, like, flashes his 70s suit. And then he goes back to the, like, it's for coffee. <laughs> like, every other sentence is in character. And then back to Nick. And then back to the character he's playing. And he has the- When he leaves, another person walks up to Skanky for change, and he's like, no, get the fuck out of here. He's like, what do I look like, a bank? And he literally says, this is a, this place is a hornet's nest with snakes in it. (laughs) And Nick is like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be out here. I'm getting bored. I've been I've been standing over here asking for change. Nobody's walked up and handed me a watch and told me that they're going to kill me in 30 minutes. This isn't working. And so he walks away and he ends up taking off. And if oh, yeah, the like, angle...
1: Let- Let's go fly around.
0: <laughs> if the angle of the camera is too... Be- I mean, this is a busy street, and he walks, like, 10 feet off to right. the left, and then and he's, just like... humps hops mm-hmm, into the air. Pushes off. And at the angle of the camera is too be- believed, he's, like, 20 feet off the ground. So he's And he's clearly just following visible. this,
1: like, moped motorcycle. <laughs>
0: yeah, this guy drives know. by on a motorcycle, and he's, like, huh, I don't know, that looks... That looks suspicious. Somebody riding a motorcycle down the street.
1: I'm going to tail him.
0: <laughs> so he tails him. He tails him From down. From tree height. <laughs> and he ends up turning down this alley. And Nick, like, lands and scares a cat. And the guy turns around. And there's nobody there. Because Nick can be stealthy when he wants to be, I guess. Although he's just, like, clinging to the wall next to all green lights. I don't know. But this guy gets to the end. And he's rooting around in these cans. And then, these
1: big barrels.
0: Right. And we see, like, we hear a gun click. He turns around to try to, like, oh no, is there somebody back there?
1: Yeah. The guy pulls out his gun and chambers around.
0: Right. And then we see the end of the gun from earlier. And so does Nick, because he ends up jumping between the gun and the biker guy and getting shot. With absolutely zero chill, as usual. I think he just jumps over their fangs out, yeah, facing the unknown gun person.
1: Right. At least he's
0: backed. He has yeah. It back at least to the. At least by the. T- so he gets guy. shot by the our unknown assailant, and then he turns back to the biker. And by the time he turns back to the biker, he's got it to he's got his shit together. He's in. I'm getting shot which mode, is uncharacteristic. It, which is uncharacteristic. Because this guy shoots him a bunch, so he gets shot like a, a bunch. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So the mystery figure makes off with the briefcase as the watch hits zero. And then we cut to.
1: We have our first survivor. Yeah, we have our, our first survivor because the
0: biker has survived thanks to Nick's timely intervention. And Skanky has arrived in the alley and so has a bunch of other cops.
1: Right. They probably all heard the gunshots.
0: Yeah, yeah, he really does. And then this part so Skanky is talking to the biker, and they need Nick to not be a part of this conversation because we need Skanky to have this conversation by himself, just script wise. Right. And so the only thing they have him that he can do is inspect these camps. <laughs> He's just
1: walking back and forth just, in front of the same barrels.
0: Pacing back kind and forth. Of
1: peering down into them. <laughs> in front of these
0: barrels for what probably is like 10 to 15 minutes yeah, of uh, him just. Of
1: in-world time. Of
0: in-world time. Of him just, no one is over there. It's not part of the scene that's being processed. He's literally just in the corner, facing away from everybody, stalking back and forth. While Skanky and this biker have a conversation,
1: because Skanky, so what what do you think Nick is thinking in this scene? Is he like
0: he's probably shit, waiting shit. for all of the they bullets saw me to get pop shot out
1: a whole bunch?
0: He's probably waiting for all the bullets to pop out. He mm. doesn't want to be standing over there talking to people or while you, his he, chest is healing and a bullet goes. Oh,
1: may, maybe his lungs are punctured, <laughs> and so he can't actually talk right now. So he's he waiting for a lot. he's waiting for his chest to heal enough yeah. that he can actually go and talk, and he's not like right. leaking stuff, right?
0: And he doesn't want anybody to see it happening. And he's kind of got to stay away from everybody because he's got like seventeen holes in his hopefully not department issue, <laughs> wear <Where? laughs> because department also issues you your bulletproof vest, and he wasn't issued one of those, right? So there's going to be questions if he takes this jacket back. Full of bullet holes, right? So he's probably thinking it through. Okay, so I gotta go home. I gotta take the, my stuff off. Right? How do I down. spin
1: this so that I don't get caught? Right. With bullet holes in my body, <laughs> and <laughs> and then when he finally comes over, Skanky's like, "Gotta love Kevlar."
0: Yeah, and Nick's like, "Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, uh huh, yeah." So Skanky holds up this gun to the biker, and he's like, "Just for shits and giggles, at least it's this? in."
1: In an evidence bag. Plastic bag, yes.
0: He's like, just for shits and giggles, where'd you get this? And the guy's like, that cop is dead. Accurate. Accurate. But not for the reason, he thinks. Because Skanky's like, well, he's obviously not dead. Can we go back to the gun? Where did you get the gun? And the guy's like. Is this
1: yours? He's like, it's not my gun.
0: No, he's like, no, you don't understand. I shot that guy like a bunch. I shot that dude a lot. And Skanky's like, yeah, Kevlar. And the guy goes, You think we're amateurs? Yeah, the guy's like, no, no. That wasn't Kevlar. That was him. Like, I was shooting him. That cop's dead. I shot him. Hey, well, thanks for the confession. That's real thoughtful of you. But are you the legally registered owner of this fine 9mm semi-automatic weapon? Didn't you hear what I said? I shot him. He just stood there. Yeah, right. Well, do you think we're stupid, my friend? Huh? No, it didn't look like it looked like it was just him right right I would love it if we had this with squibs like mm-hmm. if we if we got a bullet splatter like a blood splatter right instead but of a powder splatter as
1: we know vampires unless they've recently <laughs> fed do not have blood in their bodies <laughs>
0: Do we know that? <laughs> Do we? I
1: have I've heard it. A little bird told me that.
0: <laughs> Once. A long time ago. And then the birdie and flew off and everybody it probably forgot. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but Nick, Nick is so carried away by this moment. It, it sets him adrift in time. And we end up back in our flashback. And this is when they find the hunter by the fire. Which did LaCroix plan this? Did he watch this guy and know this guy went out, or they literally just go in the woods? Like hunters live in woods. If we go to the woods, there'll be a hunter there.
1: Hunters, it's woods. There's hunters There's in hunters. woods. Yeah, it's part w- of the or natural maybe it's order. Like of things.
0: when you're hunting a deer and you put out like a salt lick, or you put out like a mm. you put out a bait trap. He literally set a bunch of wood next to a fire ring and was like, <laughs> "That'll Some get one. Some hunter will find this. That'll get one. It's fine." But I love this part because sometimes you can tell that Garrett Wynn Davies is primarily a stage actor. For the most part, he does a pretty good job of being just-
1: Of doing like-
0: Of doing television acting.
1: Film presence on screen.
0: But every once in a while, he can't help it. He pulls out the stage and The stage just slips right on out. And you can see it when he walks into frame- So we have our hunter and he's sitting at the fire and Lacroix walks directly at the camera and when
1: And Jeanette is off to the
0: side diagonally behind Lacroix. And when Garrett walks onto the scene, he does a very deliberate three quarter turn, put his foot on this
1: log. He's walking like right behind Lacroix and then he turns out.
0: Yeah, a he, step to the side he ends a bit. up framing it like you would on a stage. And he right. does a very stage lean where he puts his foot on this right, log and then he does like a slow, like out. fluff his cloak. Like you would if you were going to stand there and deliver dialogue on a, on a stage. There is another episode where it is very obvious he's a stage actor. And it's called, it's um, Curiouser and Curiouser. And the way that one is framed is he's sitting on his couch and the camera is facing at him and behind him is Jeanette and Jeanette's talking to him and he's faced away from Jeanette and on the television screen, there's nobody in the back row. He doesn't need to move his body. He doesn't need to whatever. He could literally just sit there and be emotive like Kurt Russell from soldier, which we just watched, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't, he's throwing his hands up. He slips side to side on the couch. He's doing these really dramatic face gestures like you would if you were trying to convey an emotion on a stage for people who can't necessarily see your face, facial expression.
1: Right. Yeah, you have to use a lot of body language because they may be able to hear you, but they can't see the nuance of your facial expression.
0: Right. But beyond that, LaCroix starts talking to the hunter, and he is being super creeper. He's like, don't you love it when you kill things? And the guy's like, "Um, I kill to eat stuff. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, but don't don't be banal. You like it, don't you? You like it when you, you kill enjoy it. You enjoy it. Isn't that the best part? The the, the power kill, that the you killing have, killing things." And the hunter's like, "You know what? Actually, I think I hear my wife, and I think I need to my go. My wife, my <laughs> wife's waiting for me. <laughs> my wife and my six starving children are back at my house, and I got to go. <laughs> I have got to go. So you guys enjoy the fire. You have a really nice night. Night. Bye." And he leaves, and LaCroix's like, oh, "The hunt is on." <laughs> <laughs> and then we come back to present And they are at the morgue And Natalie who is not only Not only our autopsy
1: She's not only our coroner
0: Not only our coroner She's also our ballistics expert Because she's able to tell this isn't a gun By like sitting at her is, desk And looking at the end of the flashlight
1: She's it's not the gun That fired the bullet that killed the guy
0: <laughs> I, You know what I don't know I don't know if in the 90s Your coroner was your one-stop shop for all evidence.
1: Probably not for a city as big as Toronto.
0: Yeah, you. This would be a much more granular. She may be able to give you like a. "Mm, I don't think so. The caliber's wrong. Like
1: I've done this a few times, and I can give you some ideas, but I'm not. I'm not the person that's responsible for producing like court level. Um. Conclusions,
0: right? This is a microscope thing where you put it under the microscope and you read the like scrape, scraping yeah, and on most, the bullet. And most stuff.
1: depictions that you see, like more modern depictions from like CSI and whatever, they will use the take the gun and they'll fire multiple bullets into like a box of sand and then they'll retrieve the bullets and they'll compare the striations yeah. on the bullet that. There that they found in the field against the test bullets, and they'll compare multiple of them. Yeah, and do the striations match? Right. Technically, you could. Right. It, maybe it's the caliber is different. In the well, gun she that she's looking at. Well, she says it's the twist.
0: You're right, looking at so this amount of twist. There's these spirals yeah, the carved
1: lines. into the inside, and maybe the bullet that killed the guy had like four four rifles rifle spirals on it and maybe this gun she's looking inside and maybe it has like six yeah and so that would be something that you could tell with just like a pen flashlight looking down the barrel
0: if you're a ballistics expert
1: well that would be something that someone who's slightly knowledgeable about how you identify how, uh, a bullet to a gun?
0: Right, would which would mean find. that like Skanky and Nick or Nick would probably be just as likely to be able to tell that exactly as Natalie. Um, yeah, this is just an abstraction. It's a plot it to is. combine it is.
1: all the facilities of. But the,
0: poor Natalie, she's got a lot on her shoulders, <clears throat> and she literally says, "How sick do you have to be to get your thrills like this?" And then she looks directly at Nick. <laughs> Which I think is so funny. (laughs) Because they're talking about... She's in on it. Yeah. She's like, how sick do you... I mean, that's a legitimate question. There's multiple levels of conversation. How sick do you have to be?
1: There's the conversation that she and Nick are having as like the inside joke kind of thing. And then there's the other level of conversation from Skanky's
0: perspective. Yeah. And then we go back into our flashback. And they are hunting the hunter. And... Jeanette is gamely trying to run through this forest and they're like, oh yeah, this is really thrilling. I'm so glad dad took us camping. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this is really fun. And Nick is like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do something unexpected because he knows right. we're LaCroix hunters. Right, runs ahead. Yeah, he's like, he knows we're hunters and he's a hunter and he's going to do something unexpected. Which this is the whole point of the flashback. Right. Is in order to this be is a his hunter site for the case. Yeah, you have to defy expectations. So he goes back to the campsite where they started. And then he comes back and Natalie's like, Nick, UK? And he's like, Yeah, another time, another place <laughs> And then they just walk off. And there's a toy on Natalie's desk. There's a little uh, stuff. Rainbow caterpillar. caterpillar. Yeah, yeah. And she had family visiting the set and they left it on her desk. And nobody caught it. And now it's immortalized as part of this episode. Which I think it's really cute. And then we go to one of my favorite parts of this episode. You know why I like this episode so much? It's because we showcase Nick and Skanky's relationship a lot in this case. Yeah. Because in the last two or three episodes, they haven't really worked together on anything. In Capital Offense, he was totally rogue. In forward into the past, he's completely rogue. He's not working with Skanky. Right, and it's all about
1: his history and his story.
0: And their bromance is what makes the show. Because his Nick's relationship with the other women in the show is left so ambiguous. We're not here for it. What we're here for is the relationship between Skanky and Nick. So we finally get a little bit of the Skanky-Nick magic back in this episode. I mean, we even had an episode where Skanky was actively belligerent towards Nick. So it's really nice to have them come back and be partners. And we really get to see it when they do the interrogation of the biker. Oh yeah.
1: They play it up.
0: Oh yes. He's like, oh I see. He's gonna be the good cop, you're gonna be the bad cop, you're gonna rough me up, whatever. And Nick's like, No, no, you misunderstand me. He's not the good cop. And I'm not a good cop either what we're going to do is we're going to ask you questions and we just want honest answers and that's how it's going to work. And if it doesn't work that way, it's going to be real unpleasant for you because I don't like confrontation. I fucking hate it. (laughs) And then they do this. Like
1: in this, like really like loomy. Yeah. Like very close personal space. Yeah.
0: He gets right in his face. and He's like, I hate it. And then they do this rapid fire. Like, okay, where were you when it happened? And he's like, oh, it was at this bar. What bar?
1: Right, they keep interjecting to, so he can't maintain like his train of thought.
0: I was in this bar. Which bar? Hoghead. Parkdale or North York? Parkdale. What time? Boom. three hours. Come on, keep going. So I get back from the john. What were you doing in the john? What do you think I was doing in the Buying john?
1: Buying or selling? We can nail you either way.
0: Jesus, take in the little... lease. Spare me the details. So... So I get back to the table, and there's this itty-bitty tape recorder sitting there. Did you just have a stroke? No. I figured you guys were going to
1: interrupt me again. We probably will.
0: Yeah. Which is a good interrogation technique. It works. And he explains about how he found the tape recorder and there was a watch with it and a note and no, he didn't keep the note. And it told him he had 30 minutes to find this briefcase that had $2 million in it or he was and he was had to find it or he was going to get killed. And he was like, and that's it. I, I don't know any more than that. But that's more than they knew before. They right. didn't know what now they yeah. finally
1: have some information about the case.
0: Yeah, they finally know what all the pieces are for. And so they go out and Cohen's like, Okay, well, how did it go? And they're like, Oh my God, that was so much fun. I haven't <sighs> had that much fun grilling somebody. Skanky says he hasn't had that much fun grilling somebody since Myra ran the car into a ditch. <laughs> ran the Cordoba yeah. into a ditch. And Cohen's like, Okay, well, are we sure he's honest? And they're like, Yeah, nobody can make that shit up. Not in the way we just did. Not the, not the way right. we just interrogated him. And she goes, okay, well, why don't you call the RCMP Behavioral Unit? <laughs> Matt was like, oh, the RCMP, the Mounties. Yep. And get some coordination. And they're like, okay, yeah, okay, we'll go ahead and call them.
1: They're this kind is... of like the Canadian equivalent of the the federal investigation. Yeah, but this Maybe is... not the FBI, but...
0: This is kind of a red herring-ish. Uh, Although Matt was like, oh, it's one of them. Well, no, it's not. Because it's just to bridge the gap until Skanky's ready to go home.
1: Uh, Right. I speculated that their their local RCMP contact uh, wasn't picking up and whatever. I was like, oh, it's because it's her. She's the killer. But no. Right. It was a distraction.
0: <clears throat> it was a red herring because Skanky goes out, he's getting ready to head home for the day and he gets... Yoink. Yoinked. He gets tranquilized and yoinked. And then Nick comes out later and he goes to get in his car and there's a tape recorder with a watch. And a note. And the note says, play me. So he plays it and this is when we get our terms. And it's like... I've got your partner. Here's his voice to prove it. And it's skanky going, Don't do it. Don't come get me. Save yourself, Nick. Save yourself. And he cuts, gets cut off, and then, which all's skanky. And then it's like, Okay, you have to, you have 30 minutes to come find me. You have to come alone. You have to come unarmed. You have to come on foot. And he is in this warehouse. And See you there.
1: It's done.
0: Right. And then he looks out. And the sun is rising, which it feels really close to after he got in the car. He was cutting it real, real close. Or he lives, like, around the corner. Right. Or he was banking on that underground garage.
1: (laughs) Maybe got some special glass. Yeah. In the windows. Maybe. A a special uh, UV tint.
0: Yeah. But this is our first, like, verbal interaction with the bad guy. The bad person.
1: Right. This is the first (laughs) recording that. Nick and Skanky have heard
0: right, and we immediately hop over to Skanky, and Skanky's being tied up, and he gets the blindfold pulled off his head, and it's a woman, and he's like, oh, "You better watch out, there's like a real bad dude running right. around." And she's like, uh, "It's wow, me, Skanky, come it's on, it's me," and this woman is Renta Ann, Renta Ann Foley. She's Renta the Ann
1: Foley. She's the what?
0: less developed version of Ann Foley from Dance by the Light in the Moon. Remember Dance by the Light of the Moon was the one with the sex worker, the stripper who seduced Nick because uh, okay. she likes yes. seducing men yep. and having them kill for her? Yeah. This is what got me thinking like, oh, I missed season one a little bit because that was a good episode. Mm-hmm. And this woman just isn't Anne. So that's why we're going to refer to her as Renta anne because we don't find out her name. We, we don't find, find out, out
1: nothing about her. We don't find out. Except that she kind of implies that she grew up wealthy.
0: Yeah. As Nick says, we know that this, the bad guy has money and brains. And Cohen says, a rare combination. <laughs> 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 but yeah, we don't, nothing, nothing. Except that this woman <clears throat> likes to hurt people and that's it. And not even as imaginatively or as... Interesting. Just hunting them. Just hunting them as Anne Foley. So we're just going to call her Run to Anne. And now you know why. But Nick has to make his way there through the sewers because the sun has risen, which how does he know how to get to where he's going? And why are they all- He's lived here for years. Why are they all over six foot tall?
1: These are very unusual sewers. Okay. This, the only- time that i've reasonably seen these kinds of sewers are on very in very old cities right where like you literally had to be able to walk it you didn't have equipment to just dig up a sewer pipe anywhere
0: yeah this isn't the last time this isn't the last time we're going to be in the sewers and they are as elaborate the next time we go in them too so they're a little bit more believable I
1: i wouldn't expect to see these kinds of sewers in north america no but in Europe, yes.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. We'll just, these are what the sewers look like. Here you go.
1: Anyway, it, it, it's a convenient plot device. It
0: happens, because that's how he's got to get there. And he's even dodging around light in the sewers, because there's light coming right, there's in the
1: openings. from so yeah. the road. Yep.
0: And then we cut back to Skanky having a conversation with Renta Ann. And I find this conversation really interesting, because she's sitting there filling hollow points with garlic. And she's talking to Skanky, and she says that Skanky is bait because Nick would not be tempted by the money the way the other people are tempted by the money because his kind doesn't need money.
1: Right. Some of the phrasing that she uses.
0: Yeah. And so she asks Skanky. She's like, what's it like working with someone like him? And he's like, "Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And she goes, hmm. Discretion. Discretion. Is that really warranted at this point? So why me? I knew that your partner couldn't be lured with money. This kind doesn't need money, do they? (sighs) I wonder what that must be like. What must be like? Discretion, is it? There's hardly any point, really. Like, oh, did this woman just call Skanky out for knowing what Nick is and lying for him?
1: or does Skinky actually not know?
0: Skinky has to know. Skinky has to know. There is absolutely no way. It's like I was reading an interview with the guy who or some of the people who work on Superman. And they were talking about how Lois Lane in the comics eventually figures out what who Superman is. Mm-hmm. Partly because to continue hiding it from her would have made her seem dumb. Yes. Because it had been so long and there had been so many coincidental incidences that there's no way she could continue to not put the pieces together and still be considered an intelligent character. And I think that's skanky because there's definitely some parts in this where he is acting as if he knows what Nick is.
1: Right. Like all the yelling.
0: Yeah. Talking out loud to himself. Right. Loudly. Almost as if he knows like his partner a has really good hearing. wouldn't be able to
1: hear him talking from across this warehouse. Right. But some supernatural detective partner, well, yeah, I, I just need to get a signal to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But Renta Ann calls him out. She's like, oh, really? Are we going to lie for him? Okay. I guess that's how we're going to play it. Mm-hmm. And then she puts a bomb under his chair. <laughs> And she's like, don't move around too much. And she just gives him a kiss and leaves. Because Nick has finally gotten as far in the sewers as he can get. And he gets out and she's waiting for him. And she's like, well, hello.
1: Hmm. Good I'm gonna to see shoot. you.
0: And he, she, she shoots him in the face. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, ow. And he has a scarf. thing' He has like a scratch from it for the rest of it. And this scene I always thought was weird. I mean, it's a not a bad scene. Definitely there's some where he does the like handout, like come to me thing when he's trying to hypnotize her. It's pretty cool. But the scene, this part always seemed odd to me because he doesn't say anything for so long. He comes out of the sewers and it's a good five minutes of dialogue before he starts responding to her. Mm -hmm. She's just talking at him for like five minutes.
1: Right. And like, he's just stunned. And like he's absorbing just information.
0: standing there. He tries to run at her. And he gets caught by the light. And he like, <laughs> dirt darts back into the light and then gives her this really angry look like, oh, I just want to go home. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, well, let me go ahead and tell you all about my scheme and all about how I figured out what you are and all about like, while you just glare at me. And then he tries hypnotizing her. And he actually tries twice. The first time is really obvious.
1: And it almost works.
0: And it almost works. And the second time, he tries to go real, real subtle. And unless we heard the heartbeat, we wouldn't know really that he was trying to do it. Because he's trying to relate to her Mm -hmm. and get her to fall under his spell. Right. Which this is how Lacroix hypnotizes people. We haven't gotten to the episodes where he does it yet. But this is a Lacroix technique where he's just talking to them. And then all of a sudden, you start to hear the heartbeat. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not like Nick does where he just stares at them straight in the face. And he's like, you don't remember anything? Just direct commands. It's more of like a, I'm persuading you with a little psychic push. Right. And so that's what he tries to do the second time around. And in the meantime, Skanky is like, I'm so sorry, Myra. I'll take you on that vacation. I'll stop teasing you. I really hope I get out of this. Like, I really wish that wasn't the last conversation I had with my wife. Mm Mm-hmm. Just kind of sad, yeah, but sweet at the same time. But he does manage to get into the factory. Nick manages to get into the factory and he pauses for a moment to remember that last moment in his flashback after he had found and killed the hunter. And he has this really like it's one of the more brutal, like killing scenes that we get where he's untying this guy's neck scarf and he's like, You know why I'm
1: right, he's he's got him pinned yeah and he's just monologuing to him yeah while removing his
0: he's scarf. like you're a hunter you know why i'm doing this you understand where i'm coming from you know you know i'm still gonna kill you but i understand and respect you and i'm also going to untie your scarf very dramatically while i'm like hissing in your ear it's pretty monstrous yes and they, you know, they're all done. They're all standing up. They do the like mouth wipe, like, just drink a guy. And then they fly off. They're like, well, it's getting late. This was fun. I'm ready to go home. Kick my feet up. Turn back on the television. Whatever. Nice outing. Thanks. Thanks, LaCroix. And Nick lingers for a moment. And the hunter's wife shows up. And she's like, uh, hello. And then she sees him dead on the ground and she starts crying. And we see Nick looking very sad behind a tree, which if this is like 1830s ish, we're.
1: That would be, this might be the beginning of the arc to where he finally leaves.
0: Yeah. You know what I want to see? A fan edit where we take all of the flashbacks and put them in chronological order and put them together in one single movie.
1: The narrative of Nick um, kind of growing out of LaCroix.
0: Yeah. I think that'd be really interesting to see cuz then you would see kind of he has peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. He has times when he's guilt-ridden and he has times when he's not and then he has we're we're in a a guilt-ridden phase right now. So I'd love to see that. Like I'd love to see somebody cut all of the flashbacks out and make one long thing. And they're only like if you probably chunk them all together, they're probably only 5 to 7 minutes mm-hmm. of actual screen time per episode except for 1966. So all told, it would probably be three or four hours, maybe if that. Mm-hmm. Three, less than three. Anyway, you you hear me, universe? That's what I would like. I have requested it. But Renta Ann is still hunting him, and they're like walking around the factory equipment. We hear her pontificating because she has recorded her manifesto on tape, and she's got it playing in different and she's left in multiple places. Yeah. Yeah, and if you actually listen to it, it's wild. It's like, all those lovers that I killed, was they were just me finding myself, as one does. And it's like, oh, whatever. And she ends up dropping holy water on him, which I think he just hisses and backs away because somebody dropped something on his fucking head. He's just right. like, oh, God, what was that? And then she throws Molotov cocktails at him, which are far more effective, because as we know, by your bed.
1: <laughs> Unless you're LaQua.
0: Unless you're LaQua, and then fire whatever. It's an inconvenience. Yeah. Um, and he ends up running up the stairs because he hears Kanky. And he's zeroing in because Skanky is loudly talking to himself. He's loudly exclaiming stuff as a way, I think, of helping Nick find Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's absolutely he's letting Nick know where he is because he knows that Nick will come save him.
0: Right. And there's crosses planted at the top. And he actually does, like, back up from the crosses. And she's like, oh, interesting. That one works. I
1: thought that was a myth.
0: Mm, I thought that one was a myth. And she starts shooting him. And she also says, what will you give me if I let you live? And he's like, a taste of hell. (laughs) (laughs) And she ends up shooting him. And every time she shoots him, he backs up a little bit. And they kind of have a conversation. And she realizes he's a vampire with a conscience, and that's why he hasn't won yet, and blah, blah, blah. And she ends up shooting him, and he falls off the side of the platform. And when she goes over to look down. Surprise, motherfucker. He's gone. He gone. And she's like, oh, shit. So she runs back to where Skanky is. And she runs in the room, and Skanky starts yelling helpful information. Yep. He's like, Nick, she's in the room. Nick, she turned off the lights. Nick, she's got night vision goggles on. And Nick bursts in from outside because she's blackened out this window right. to make it dark in there. And he comes in. He has snuck around on the sunlit exterior and he comes in from the outside and he ends up blinding her. And he uses the shadow behind Skanky to try to save, like, free Skanky. And she shoots a crossbow at him, but he just catches it. like, And breaks it. Like, just stop. You're embarrassing yourself. And then he ends up freeing Skanky, and they flee. And she runs after them and trips. And then she looks over and sees the...
1: The timer on the the bomb. The timer on the bomb is about to go
0: off. And she goes, oh, and then it explodes. And that's the end of Rent to Anne. And we never find out anything more about her. Duty done. And then we go to the morgue for our wrap-up. Because Natalie is treating Nick's wounds. And she asks him if the irritation has stopped. And this is the scene I have referenced probably six times in our podcast so far, which is if by that you mean the feeling of a thousand scorpions stinging me, then yes, the irritation has stopped. the last of the
1: garlic. Has the
0: irritation stopped? If by irritation you mean the feeling that a thousand scorpions had stung me all at once, yes,
1: thank you very much. The (laughs) irritation has stopped.
0: You know, I can't believe how fast your burns healed.
1: I want to see Nick and Skanky's report. (laughs) of their after what action happened. report
0: maybe they just <laughs> agreed sca- to not to, to not talk just, about it not talk about it
1: just say hey we found her yeah like, she, this is-
0: she must have blown herself up darndest thing well what are the crosses in the why why is this building <laughs> maybe, on fire and shit maybe nick cleaned all that up yeah maybe he went back took all the crosses down yeah i don't know i don't know how they would write that shit up <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, How did then, you find this place? Then what? I got a. Like,
1: do they do they tell Cohen that Skanky got kidnapped because the hunter was hunting Nick?
0: Yeah, because he was a vampire. <laughs>
1: exactly. Because. There is
0: no way they yeah. can write this shit up. They had, to, they had to go to a coffee shop afterwards. And get, work out their story. Get Skanky, calm down. And then they had to work out what they were going to say. And then they had to go write the report. Mm-hmm. Or Nick had to hypnotize Skanky, which he clearly doesn't, because when Skanky comes into the morgue, he says, I spent the better part of the morning strapped to a tactical nuclear warhead, which he was actually only on there for half an hour, because that's how long Nick had, but that's fine. Uh, And when I called Myra to tell her about it, I didn't get even two words before she starts telling me about the whales again. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly he didn't erase his memory, so Skanky remembers Everything that happened Mhm. Nick filed no report. I mean, he didn't call and tell anybody this had happened.
1: Right. This was this was limited to just Nick and Skanky. Yeah. They were both finishing up their their shift and leaving for the day and then everything happened within half an hour after Nick left for the day.
0: Maybe so. they just wrote it up as she wanted to hunt a cop.
1: Or like Nick was there, yeah, and so she realized, okay, this is a dangerous. I mean, they person. could have
0: framed it as like because he stepped in and stopped her last mm-hmm. time; it was a revenge thing, right? But they would have had to get that straight ahead of time, right? Especially after Skanky sat there and listened to her talk about Nick's kind and watched him right. watched her fill hollow points with garlic,
1: right? At this point, Skanky yeah. has to know.
0: He has to know,
1: like, just Nick bursting in through the window.
0: Yeah, the second story. How did he
1: get there? (laughs) Get the window.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Why does he actually sizzle in the sunlight? Because he would have been covered with burns after he came through the window like that. And Natalie even says your burns have healed up really well. And she's like, why did you do that? And he's like, well, I had to do something unexpected because she thought I knew what I, she thought she knew what I was going to do. So I had to do something completely different. And then this is when Skanky walks in. And then Nick has the absolute gall to have this really flirty moment with Natalie. Dude, you are sending some really fucking mixed signals. Don't he's like, string her along. He's like, I'm just here to see Madoc. And that's when Skanky is like, well, you know, I tried talking to Myra. She talked my ear off. She didn't even care. I almost got blown up after I was so worried I was never going to talk to her again. And Natalie's like, well, you could stay here. There's plenty of room. Like, I can. The other residents wouldn't you need mind. need a place to lay down? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just pull up a slab. Thanks, Natalie. And he goes, well, you know, you got some dark humor. And Nick's like, yeah. But
1: I kind of like it dark.
0: I like it dark. And then he kisses her.
1: Peck on the cheek
0: nick and then he gives her this flirty little smile when he leaves yeah well it's a long story at least when i was sitting on that bomb i had a few minutes to think uh, well you know Skank, it's
1: uh, it's very peaceful around here you could just find a nice place to lie down i'm sure the others wouldn't mind oh thank you natalie i think i'll just pull up a nice cold slab you know she's got a real twisted sense of humor it's a little dark yeah but they're not like dark
0: then you would enjoy some candlelight bowling. Dude. Not cool. <laughs> I mean, cool if you if this is what continues. If you're actually going to follow through right. or something. Right, but not like, I need to throw her a bone so she'll stay on my side, because that's what it feels like. Like, oh, maybe she's waffling a little bit. I need to just reel her back in a little bit. But not all the way in, because I don't want to land this fish. I just want to keep it on the line. Right wild and that is the end of hunted Hunted. not to be confused with hunters which was a previous episode Mm -hmm. yes
1: yeah i remember you getting it mixed up yeah
0: (laughs) i'm really glad we're back we had some skanky nick time Mm -hmm. because it sets us up for the next episode where we really are going to test our friendship again So I'm glad we had a moment of reestablishment before moving into the next episode. Also, this is one of our rare flashbacks that's not like, how is LaCroix going to fuck Nick over this time? (laughs) It's more of a family bonding experience that backfired on LaCroix yet again because it showed Nick the uh, the repercussions. Right. It it exposed him to the human connection. Yeah. So yet again, everything LaCroix does ends up just hammering home to Nick how much he doesn't want to be a vampire. And that's, I mean, I think we talked about everything we wanted to talk about as it went on. So
1: So, uh, we have an Instagram.
0: Oh, yeah, we do. We have an Instagram. It's up to 200 followers. And when we do the big switch, I'm sorry. I don't have the energy to have multiple to have multiple Instagram accounts, so we will still only have one Instagram account,
1: which I think is fine. It's
0: fine, and it's the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. But I think I'm going to change it to the Strange and Beautiful Network. But it won't matter; you'll stay followed if you're already following me. So you should probably go ahead and do that. And we're going to have uh, we have our Patreon, but once in July, when everything shakes out, we're going to have a lot more stuff going on on the Patreon. So this would be a good time to get in on the ground floor and join. Most of the posts that I put on Patreon are actually public. So all you have to do is follow me. You don't even have to pay anything to see what I put up. We do have some things that I put up that are behind the paywall, but most, for the most part, my just general blogging stuff is is public. So that's, again, Strange and Beautiful book club. If you want to boogie over to Patreon and join that. I'm also working on the website, actively working on the website. So we might actually have a functioning website soon. I'm very excited. And in the meantime, if you wanted to email us recommendations, you could do that. You just send it to thehosts at strangeandbeautiful.club. I think that about covers it.
1: All right. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too.
0: So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends.
1: Bye. Bye.